All right, good morning. Let's start by turning to those places in our Bible. Let's take a look at what the Word of God says. Genesis chapter 18, Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah 41 is my favorite verse in the Bible. One of the very first ones I ever memorized was Isaiah 41.10. In Genesis chapter number 18, what you have is God has come down in human form, accompanied by two angels, and he's come to the camp of Abraham, and at Abraham's camp, he has, Abraham has washed his feet, Sarah cooked a meal for him and fed them. The two angels end up going down to Sodom and Gomorrah to take a look at that evil, but God is there for a purpose, and he tells Sarah, you're going to have a child even in your old age, and she laughs about it behind closed curtains, okay? And God knows she laughs, so let's read those two verses right there. Chapter 18, verses 13 and 14. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? And then God asked this rhetorical question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. And God did give her a son, and it was a miraculous child. But uh, they, God said, now you're going to have to name the child Isaac, which is laughing one, or you laughed. So from this day forward, every time you call your son for supper, you're going to remember what you did behind closed curtains. But God asked the rhetorical question, is anything too hard for the Lord? What's the answer to that rhetorical question? Nothing. Now take a look at Isaiah chapter 41. Doing a difficult thing is the topic of our message this morning. Isaiah chapter 41, verse number 10. Fear thou not, for I am what? I'm with thee. Be not dismayed. That means don't get all worried. For I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. So when we have to face difficult things, who's with us? Who tells us not to fear? Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord Jesus, for the reading of your word. I pray, Lord Jesus, as we speak this morning that if there's someone here that doesn't know you, they've been putting off for whatever reason a decision for Christ, whether it is to accept him as personal Savior, to surrender to his will, to become a church member, whatever decision they've put off, I pray today that you'll speak to their heart, help them to understand their need to act on what God is telling them to act on. Thank you again for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Doing a difficult thing. Doing a difficult thing. I graduated in 1972 from Parkersburg Community High School. That's a little bitty town about 20 miles west of Waterloo Cedar Falls area where all the John Deere tractors are made. And uh, that little bitty town out there, we had a whopping 1,600 people that lived in our entire town. Everyone knew everyone. 
Don't do anything wrong. It'll be on the front page of the Parkersburg Eclipse. In fact, it was one of those little papers where if you went over to eat with another couple, they published that you went over to the other couple's house and even what you ate for supper. <laughs> little towns. But when I graduated from high school, we had a motto. Every year, a high school class graduates with a motto. In fact, if you want to look up what my high school used to look like, you can Google uh, Parkersburg Community High School and put down, I think, the year 2008, and you'll see what a five, a uh, class five tornado does to our, did to our school, turned it into a pile of toothpicks. In fact, when Karen and I went back to the high school to visit, the principal gave us a tour through the whole building, and at the end said, you know, I'm really sor sorry, uh, uh, Stephen, if uh, you're here for your records, I'm afraid those were all destroyed in the tornado. And I said, sir, if you knew me in high school, that's a good thing. <laughs> that's a good thing. But we had a class motto, and this was our class motto, and something I've never forgotten. The difficult we do now, the impossible takes a little longer. The difficult we do now. How many times have you seen folks run away from something because it's difficult? I'm not sure who the author of this quote is. I think it was probably Plato or one of the Greek philosophers. But they said, that which bends rivers and men is taking the soft route. Bends rivers and men. The difficult we do now, the impossible takes a little longer. The truth is, facing and overcoming difficult things in life may be hard to do, but it will test who you really are. It will, be, it will expose the core. Job did not get patience. When he went through those trials, Job already had patience. They just put his patience to a test. And sometimes stuff comes in our life because God wants to do that. Sometimes there are some things that you can't ever forget. I mean, they'll really put your test to them. Uh, I'll, I'll just share four with you I experienced before I turned 20 years old. And I don't pray these on anyone. Well, maybe the third one, but I don't pray these on anyone. Number one was having to defend your mother against your two oldest drunk, skunk, drunk brothers who came home at two in the morning because they wanted to beat your mom up. And you and your next older brother had to take baseball bats and stand between your mother and two drunk brothers who wanted to beat your mother to a pulp and threatened to take the baseball bat and split their skull. And I did it when I was 12 years old. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. That's a difficult thing to have to live with. Or when I was going in my freshman year in high school, I did something stupid. I don't know why stupid things always get rewarded, okay, with bad. I broke my jaw. Clear, it, it broke and piece slid inside and they slid like this together. The other side cracked all the way through. I won't describe. Blood was gushing. It was horrible. They took me to Allen Memorial Hospital, and the surgeons got in there, took one look at it, and said he needs immediate surgery. They took me in. They put me to sleep. She stuck something in my arms. She says, Ed, count back from 100. I said, 99, 98, and that's all I remember. And then they set my jaw and wired it shut. Six weeks, this is what I had to talk like. 
and go to school. And you know that school children are always gentle on the wounded animal, right? And my brothers and sisters, oh, they weren't any different. I mean, they would, they would be eating a steak and say, want a bite? Oh, I'm sorry, you can't. I got to eat baby food. I kept Gerber in business. I got to eat ice cream. That was good. Six weeks. Happened when I was 15 years old. I went in the Army when I was 17. I got my draft number came up, so it was go in one way or the other. I was going in the Army or the Marine Corps, one or the other. So I elected to go enlist in the Army because at least that way I could choose my first tour of duty and maybe that mashiva over in the southeast would be done and I wouldn't have to go to Vietnam. So I enlisted for four years and uh, my recruiter said, this is the new army. This is the all-volunteer army. The drill sergeants aren't even allowed to swear at you anymore. Let me tell you something, my drill sergeants never got that memo. <laughs> I got off that bus and they was as nasty and mean. All of them were combat veterans. I mean, blood dripping from their teeth and their fangs. I mean, they were butcherous me. I've seen grown men, a DI step, and I saw a grown man cry, and the drill sergeant said, are you bawling in front of me? And just screaming and make him get down. You stay in front, leaning rest, till I tell you to get up. One of them stepped in front of me and read my name tag, and he said, wiggle. Is that right? I said, whatever you say, drill sergeant. I don't, I'm not going to argue with them. That was tough. Defending my mom was a difficult thing. Getting a broken jaw and going through that for six weeks, that was a difficult thing. Going in the army and putting up with what I had to put up with because they're training you to fight in combat. They have no choice but to be tough. And then, I know she looks like such an innocent little thing standing down here. <laughs> I would rather be inspected by a four-star general than had to stand and look at her and say, I do. In fact, she thought I changed my mind. My pastor was standing there and he said, okay, repeat after me. I, Steve Weigand, I just stood there quiet and Karen was like. <laughs> I was opening my mouth but nothing was coming out. How can that little redhead scare me like that? I did all these things before I was 20 years old. Sometimes in life we have to do difficult things, amen? but I promise you there's a reason for them and they make you the person that you are. Your life is linear. If you go back and change one thing in your life, you'll change who you are today. You will not be the person you are today if something gets changed. Don't resent what comes in your life. Ask God, what are you teaching me here? What can I learn from this? Sometimes we have to do some pretty difficult things. I like this quote, and I tried to find the author. I have no idea who actually authored this, but you will never know how strong you are until being strong is the only option you have left. That will tell you how strong you are. When it's the only option you have left is to be strong. That will test your mettle then you will find out just how strong you really are. And can I tell you something that might surprise some of you? All of you right here in this room and everybody watching by camera or through our Facebook, you're all stronger than you think you are. Every single one of you. And God knows it. 
God knows how strong you are. Spiritual power. God wants to empower every single one of you to be giants in the faith. And sometimes to get there, God has to train you. He has to make you fight the lion. He has to make you fight the bear because he knows Goliath is just around the corner. And he's only doing it to get you ready. So we're going to talk about doing the difficult thing. I want to go over a few things that are very, very difficult. Okay? Now it's time for us to look into God's Word and let the Word of God shine for us and bring us face to face with some difficult things. Maybe some of these things that they're facing in the Bible are things that you're facing in your life right now today, right now where you sit. You could be facing the exact same thing. It's an old book with old stories that are very modern in application. Very appropriate. I won't go to tell you to go to the scripture. We don't have time to read all these scriptures exhaustively. But in Luke chapter number 15, prodigal son comes up to his dad and he says, I want the money that pertaineth to me. Give me my inheritance. Do you realize according to Jewish custom, you didn't get your inheritance until after dad died? So when he went to his father prematurely and said, I want the money that pertaineth to me, it was the exact same as saying to his dad's face, I wish you were dead. And dad said, okay, here's your money, son. And his son went and lived it up. Party, party, party. Spent it all. Ended up fighting hogs for us to live on. And then came to himself sitting in the mud and said, how many servants in my father's house eat better than I do? They've got it better than... This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to rise and I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to say to my father, Father, I have sinned and done evil in thy sight. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Therefore, make me as one of thy hired servants. This was what he rehearsed all the way back home. He trudged miles and miles and miles, got back home. And when he started going up that lane, I'll bet his knees were shaking and he thought, man, I don't know how dad's going to receive me because the last thing he remembers is I wished he was dead. Dad jumps off that porch, sees his son's gate, comes running down that, that lane, grabs his son, hugs his neck. Now the son could have said, wow, he could have sized this up and said, wow, I wasn't expecting this kind of a greeting. This is pretty good, so maybe I don't have to say what I was going to say. But to the son's credit, he followed through with it and he said, Dad, I am not worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And Dad just ignored him. Moms are better at that, by the way, than, than dads, okay? That nurturing stuff, you know, I did not get that pill, okay? And so, by the way, can I tell you something? Um, when kids are acting up in the backseat of a car and you're going down the road, dad's thermometer only rises about this far. Moms will go this high. Dad's is about this far, and he's, I will turn this car around. Don't make me pull over. That's dad, okay? Mom's usually not that way. Oh, folks, he followed through and dad ignored him and dad put a robe on him and a ring on his finger and said, my son was dead and now he's alive to me again. Listen, sometimes in life, having to do and face humiliations that you've done, those are things sometimes we have to do. But they're a difficult thing, but they have to be done to face humiliations. I brought this little Bible up here, this New Testament up here to the pulpit. Uh, the writing in it is so small, even at this close, I need a huge magnifying glass. 
to even read. There was a time when I could actually read this. That print, I don't think they make a font in Microsoft that small. One day I was on guard duty and had a pocket over here and my New Testament in my pocket over here and I was on guard duty and uh, I was guarding a bunch of cars in a wired, sealed-off parking lot, mostly officers' cars, which frankly didn't matter if they got stolen anyway, but that, that's another thing. So I'm guarding these cars. Snow is on all the cars. It's freezing cold. They have a little guard shack, and there's a window facing this direction toward the car and this direction toward the cars, but there's none on the door that opens toward the battalion headquarters or brigade headquarters right next door. So I'm in there, and on guard duty, you're not allowed to read, you're not allowed to smoke, you're not allowed to drink except water, and you have to do your rounds and everything, but... No one's there, 2 o'clock in the morning. Who in the world is going to be there 2 o'clock in the morning on a snow-filled night, freezing cold? Pulled my New Testament out, and this is the one I was reading right here. I opened that thing up, and I read about four or five verses, and the door opened. And I turned and looked, and I saw an enlisted man. But the thing is, on his collar, the black thing that was on his collar was about three inches long, which meant he was a very high-ranking enlisted man. Actually, he was the command sergeant major of the brigade. He saw me standing there reading this. He said, son, are you supposed to be reading when you're on guard duty? I said, no command sergeant. By the way, don't call him sergeant major. It's command sergeant major, unless you want to go to jail. No command sergeant major, I'm not supposed to. He said, you realize that uh, I could have you arrested right now? Yes, Command Sergeant Major. By the way, what are you reading there? And I, said, I held it out. I said, the New Testament, Command Sergeant Major. He looked at it. He took it from me. And he looked at it, and he closed it, and he handed it back to me. He said, son, put this in your pocket. I'm glad you're reading the good book, but don't read it on guard duty. You understand? Yes, Command Sergeant Major. That door closed, and I went, He could have had me arrested. He could have taken $115 out of my pocket and put a black mark on my record. He did not do anything. I'd like to think maybe it was because he loved the Lord. Amen? At least I'm hoping. But listen, that was humiliating because I was a good soldier and I didn't mean for that to happen. Sometimes the humiliating things happen. Sometimes they're by accident. Sometimes they're on purpose. One day a pastor was, got up to preach and he realized when he put his hand down that his fly was wide open. He's got a big old congregation out here. And he thought, okay, well, I'm going to preach on, uh, I'm going to talk about repentance. And repentance is a turning. And so he said, I'm, I, he said, when you repent to the Lord, you are making a 180 degree turn. He turned like this and zipped his fly and there was the huge choir right there. <laughs> he forgot all about them. Sometimes humiliation is just in our life. Amen. And we just have to do the difficult thing. But I can tell you this. It's never as bad as you think. Don't, don't let fear scare you out of doing something that you know needs to be done, just like that son going back home. The next one I want you to see is putting aside your fears. How would you like to be a young, poor girl, about 18, 19 years old, sitting in her boudoir and have Gabriel appear all of a sudden in the middle of the night? Mary, you're going to bear the Christ child. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Mary asked the question, how can this be, seeing I know not a man? 
I know the birds and bees. I'm not, I, how, how's this going to happen? And Gabriel says, fear not, for the power of the highest will come upon thee, and that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Mary didn't even have to think about it. Now, she could have said, you realize they're going to say I'm, I'm pregnant out of wedlock. They're going to call me whore. They're going to call me a fornicator. They're going to call me evil. They're going to name call me. I probably ain't even going to be able to go to the well in the morning anymore. They're going to say all kinds of bad things about me. My reputation's going to be ruined. She didn't even think about it. She said, be it unto me according to thy word. Listen, you got to put aside your fears when God tells you to do something. Amen? You can't. This is a difficult thing to say yes. You have to do it, though. Overthinking it, you will always say no if you overthink it. Jonah, I want you to rise and go to Nineveh. Huh? Do you realize I know prophecies about Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire is going to swoop down here on my country? They're going to destroy my country, my cities. They're going to burn my villages, rape our women. And you're telling me to go preach repentance to that capital city? Forget it. And he goes to Joppa and buys a ticket the opposite direction. Storm comes out, and he still says, instead of saying, turn this boat around and God will stop the storm, he says, throw me in the water. I'd rather die. I'd rather commit suicide by sea than go preach to those Ninevites. And God says, that's okay. I got this covered. <laughs> Give him a ride right to the shore. Puked him all over. I can't imagine how he smelled. And by the way, lest you think this can't can ever happen, they actually found in Hawaii a great white shark. They caught this huge great white shark on the north shore of Hawaii, cut the belly open. There was a person in there that had lived inside that shark for two days. His skin, a lot of his skin had been eaten off. He needed something like 40 or 50 skin graft operations, but he lived. In fact, he ended up going to the Barnum and Bailey Circus as one of the weird people things. So yeah, God can do amazing things. How could he possibly do that? No whale can swallow someone. You ever looked at a whale shark? Google whale shark sometime. And especially that picture where it shows a scuba diver by its mouth. Its jaws are 16 feet wide and tell me it couldn't swallow a person. If it did, it would go, what was that? Not a problem. Yeah. Listen, don't overthink it. If you overthink it, you'll always say no. The third one I want to deal with comes in Matthew chapter 19. A rich young ruler came to Jesus. And the rich young ruler came to Jesus. And he said, Lord, I know that you're a good person. And what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And God said, and the Lord Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. But Jesus only listed seven of the commandments, not ten. Jesus only listed seven. Now, why only seven? I think every time Jesus listed a commandment, he brought a photograph up in that guy's head of when he broke it. And that guy still looked at Jesus and had the nerve to look Jesus right in the face and say, all these have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? God can't deal with someone that's not honest. You have to be willing to face the truth. And sometimes it's difficult to face the truth and admit that you're a sinner. It was no problem for me. I mean, that was one of the first things. When Pastor Logan first witnessed to me and my brother and my sister first witnessed to me, they said, you understand you're a sinner? I said, well, yeah. I mean, I, I've only met one woman in my whole life that wasn't a sinner. I was on visitation in Colorado Springs. And she said, I'm, I'm not a sinner. I've never sinned. I said, wow, can I shake your hand? I've never met a sinless person before. 
She did not like my overture, so she stepped inside and closed the door. Listen, I don't have any problem getting past that part, amen? Facing the truth. Listen, but I've seen people that are so filled with pride or arrogance that they cannot face the truth about themselves. You know one thing that's very hard to hear is, I'm sorry I was wrong from a politician. Politics. That was defined once as poly means many, and a tick is a blood-sucking vermin. Politics. Wrong priorities will do me every time. If you can't be honest with Jesus, your priorities are messed up. You've got to be honest with the Lord Jesus Christ. Who better to be honest to? He already knows everything you've got locked up in your little closet. How can you not help but be honest to the God that knows all? All things are open and naked unto the eyes of the Almighty, saith the Lord of hosts. And then Galatians chapter 2 tells us about confronting someone. Another great difficulty is confronting. You ever had to confront someone? I think it's probably one of my least liked things in 45 years of ministry. And it was especially bad when I was a school president. Some of the problems I, that I dealt with, in fact, for every one problem I dealt with in our church, I had to deal with 150 problems in the school. But confronting someone sometimes is a very difficult thing. When Apostle Paul in Galatians 2 had to get in Peter's face because Peter was to be blamed because he was treating Galatian Christians as if they were second-class Christians. You ate pork and peas and barbecued ribs until James sent some up here from Jerusalem and then you separated like you were better than them. Now that barbecued ribs saying pork and peas, that's not in the Bible, okay? I added that. But Peter separated with him. He ate with the Gentiles until he was afraid that one of his fellow Jews would see him. Then he separated as if those people were second class. That's all Paul could take. Paul got right in his face. Listen, private sins can be dealt with privately. Public sins sometimes have to be dealt with publicly. And Paul had to get in his face in front of everyone because of how Peter acted. But I'm telling you, it was a difficult thing. You think Paul enjoyed it? Paul did not enjoy having to do that. Peter was an apostle before Paul ever was. But yet I, the junior apostle, have to talk to you this way. I shouldn't have to do this. But a real friend will always be honest with their friend, won't they? Even if it hurts. When Pastor Baskin was downstairs, Dr. Baskin was in our class, and when he opened in prayer in my class this morning, he talked about iron, sharpening iron, and the sparks fly upward. Let me tell you, a friend sometimes says something to a friend, and yes, the sparks fly upward, but all they're really doing is saying, I love you, and I care about you. Paul was not trying to destroy Peter. All Paul was trying to say is, Peter, what you're doing is wrong. You need to get this right. Doing a difficult thing. Then in chapter, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 24, David is up in the cave and he's hiding in the cave of Adullam, the Bible says, and he's in there because it's cool. I mean, I mean, as hot as it's been lately, wouldn't you like to go down to one of these caverns? It's nice and cool inside. That's where David was. And in comes Saul to sleep there while his men were outside in the blazing heat. So Saul falls down and he goes to sleep. And by the way, when it says cover his feet, it doesn't mean anything except take a nap, okay? And so Paul, Saul lays down to cover, and, and, and David's 
compatriots there said, this is your chance. He's your enemy. He's hunting you, man. This is your chance. Kill him. And if you won't do it, David's first in command said, if you won't do it, I'll do it. Let me do it. I'll only hit him once. I promise. Just once. David said, no, we will not touch the Lord's anointed. And then David went up and just cut the bottom of his skirt off. Saul woke up, put his garments back on, went down, mounted up his horse, started to ride off. David stepped out of the cave and said, hey, Saul, look what I have. I can see Saul going, looking up and said, my son, you have spared me. You showed me mercy. I'll never chase you again. Yeah, right. But listen, he bestowed mercy. Will you bestow mercy on somebody that doesn't deserve it? Will you bestow mercy on somebody that's done something to you that don't deserve mercy? Are you willing to bestow mercy or will you strike them just once? We've got to show mercy. In Mark chapter number 12, number 6 is giving sacrificially. Giving sacrificially is a very important thing to do. Learn to give sacrificially. Give till it hurts, then laugh and give some more. Cheerful givers. That's such an important thing. It's not a problem if you really believe. I know people that can't even, they grumble if they got to give their tithes. And I'm thinking, do you believe the Bible? Do you want Jesus to save me? Yes, I believe the Bible. Yes, I want Jesus to save me. Do you believe he loves you? Yes. Do you believe he'll care for you? Yes. Then give your tithe. No. If I don't have my tithe, I'll die. Wow. How far does your faith go? God's able to take your 80, 90% and make it stretch into 120% worth of work. I promise. Just do it. You'll see. Test me. That guy right there, Dr. Jack. Wave your hand, Dr. Jack. Wave your hand. Okay? Came to Hawaii. He had the nerve to get in the pulpit in 1975, September 1975, and say, you can't outgive God. I dare you to try. I took him up at his challenge. Guess what? I haven't been able to do it, God. I haven't been able to do it, Brother Jack. Uh, that was a good challenge, amen? Take him up. You won't want to give him. Number seven, Acts chapter number 10, is learning to overcome prejudice. God bless all the people of the earth except the people that live in that country. Don't be like a Jonah, amen? Don't say, I'm not going to go preach to Nineveh because I don't like them folks. I don't like, now I'll admit, there's a few countries in the world that I think if you dropped a nice atomic bomb on them and it hit the sand, I think it would make a beautiful color of glass. Okay? I have to admit, I'm an American. I'm an American, been a soldier. I understand. I want to grab for the gun first. But sometimes we have to show mercy. And that means we got to overcome. Once I accepted Christ as my personal Savior, guess what I realized? God values every soul alike. I do not care what Black Lives Matter said. Let me tell you something. All lives matter to God. And God wants everyone to be saved. And he could care less what your outer shell color is. He wants you to be saved. You. And he doesn't care if you live in the United States or Beijing, China or Moscow, Russia or Nigeria, Africa. He does not care. He wants all men to be saved. And he says so in his word in absolute plain terms. The last one I want you to see this morning, number eight, 
is learning to accept a gift. You know the Apostle Paul quoted Jesus saying, it is better to give than to receive. How many of you can testify to that? It is always better. I would a whole lot rather be in a condition and a position to give than to have to be the one to have to receive. I remember Karen and I one time, she, she came up to a homeless person in Hawaii and she had a, a gift card from McDonald's. And I forget, it was on a five or ten dollars. And she goes to the guy and she reached out the McDonald's card and she said, here, I want to give this to you. And he looked at the card and said, I don't do McDonald's. <laughs> Karen said, okay, fine. She put it, it's good enough for my kids, but he can't do McDonald's? <sighs> Accepting a gift. Learn to accept a gift. It's always better to give than receive. And I'd whole lot rather... Be the one that's blessed so that I can bless others than to be the one that has to be in need. If God's put you in that condition, then show him that you appreciate it by being a blessing to others. Be a blessing to others. Don't walk out of your house like the rich man, look down at Lazarus and say, I wish that scum was off my steps. No. At least try to help. Now, now I grant you, it sometimes tarnishes. Karen and I gave some money to help a guy one time in Hawaii, and then we're sitting at Long's Drugs in Hawaii, and I see him come out. He's carrying a 12-pack of, 12 pack of uh, Budweiser Light. I'm going, oh, well, we know where that money went. Listen, you can't help it when you did it. Guess who you gave it to? You gave it to Jesus. How that person spends it, he'll account for to the Lord himself. Learn to be a giver. And guess which gift? you better stop messing around with. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you better stop messing around with that gift. For the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He offers it to you free. He'll accept no excuses. If you put it off too long, He will accept no excuses. You had the chance. You had the chance. In the state of Kansas, one guy was doomed for execution. And the governor was elected, a new governor, and he read over the, the terms of the trial and looked at the new evidence, and the governor said, I just don't think that the execution uh, carrying out capital punishment is warranted in this state. In fact, he says, I think the evidence is very weak. And so he read it over, and he said, I'm going to issue a gubernatorial pardon to this guy. And so the governor issued a, wrote out a gubernatorial pardon for this man to get off death row, not just get off death row, but be set free. And the governor signed it. And the governor said, who happened to also be an ordained minister, said, I'm going to deliver it to him myself. And the governor put on his robes. He belonged to a particular faith that liked to wear robes. And he put on his garments, his ministerial garments, and he took the pardon and he went to the prison and the warden walked in there and the warden had a great big smile on his face. And he's going to walk up there. And the warden said, there's somebody here that wants to see you. And the guy looked up and he saw these preacher robes and he began cursing and swearing and said, I don't want no preacher. And the warden said, you don't understand. You don't understand. This isn't just a preacher. He said, I don't want a preacher. I want no preacher. I'm not going to listen to any preacher. I don't care what he... And the governor held out the pardon like this and said, son, I have something special for you. And he reached in through the bars and he took it and he tore it in half and ripped it to shreds without even looking at it and threw it on the ground. Governor stood there for a second. He turned to the warden. He said, you're a witness. He turned to the other guard that was standing there. He said, you're also a witness. They both said, yes, sir, we're a witness. 
He turned and walked away. When the guy found out it was a gubernatorial pardon, he appealed and it eventually went to the U.S. Supreme Court. And this is what the Supreme Court justice said in the majority opinion that allowed the man to finally be executed. A pardon refused is no pardon. Jesus Christ offers you everlasting life. Don't refuse the pardon he's offering. It can't come to you through church membership. It can't come to you through good works. It can't come to you through sacraments or rituals. It can't come to you through baptismal waters. It can come only through the blood of the precious Savior who died on Calvary for you. Will you accept it? Stop messing around with the one decision, the most important decision you could possibly make in your life. You need to make that decision doing a difficult thing. Why should we do it? Well, it may not be fun to do a difficult thing. It could be scary. It may not be exciting to do a difficult thing. It could cost me something. It could cause sorrow in my life. It could, it could, it could leave me with regrets. It, it could change my plans for my life. It, it will test my integrity. It may impact the life of others if I do something difficult. So why should I even bother doing something difficult? Well, because it's the right thing to do. And just because it's difficult, you're not off the hook. Would you do the difficult thing today?